Do you want healthier relationships? More intimate sex? Sometimes we have to get closer to ourselves to get close to others. Let's talk on Intimate Interactions. Go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon to unlock every second episode of this podcast as well as tons of premium content. Hello, Intimates. In this episode, Mark Hughes, a friend of mine, talks about the impacts of socialization and scripts that he learned while poor, homeless, or in prison. Content warning for those of you who just can't, this podcast includes Mark discussing trauma he experienced, as well as the consequences and how he copes as a survivor. We talk about triggers and how Mark has overcome addiction. His honest, open, emotionally raw words provide an impactful and intense hour. Welcome to Intimate Interactions. I'm here with my guest, Mark Hughes, a local comedian, storyteller, and podcaster on Pulling the Trigger. I'll put links in the description so that you can find the episode that I did on Mark's podcast, and Mark is now on my podcast. Welcome, Mark. Hello. So today we have some pretty challenging topics to get to, some emotionally intense ones, um, including sexual assault, trauma, prison, socialization, those kinds of things. Don't forget drug use. Don't, yes, and of course, we're also going to be talking about drug use, trauma, and um, recovery, probably in a separate podcast, but we'll see what we get to. We might be able to get through all the material. So I'm first curious to talk about what sex and intimacy looks like when experiences you've had in the past have been, um, I guess you could say, abusive or have involved sexual assault. Well, to give it some context, uh, by the time I was 27, I'd only ever had consensual sex a few times in my life but I'd had tons of non-consensual sex. Mm -hmm. uh, we, so I, from forcible rape to sexually abusive and exploitive relationships, which the, 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 the latter, the relationships don't always appear as sexual. It, it's a complicated, complex thing, but regardless, yeah. we're, we don't need to get into all that. So what ends up happening is you, 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 you me, I come out of that life, that right, life being right. on the streets, prison, drug, active drug addiction, hardcore drug addiction. I don't mean Molly and right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> needles and stuff with like yeah. a man. And so then you're, you're, I wanted to be normal. I don't know any other term to describe it, sure. but be part of the mainstream. But I don't even know, I've seen on TV and other people what, consensual relationships look like right um i have an idea of them mm -hmm. how do you i don't know how to go about doing that though um right. and then there's all kinds of emotional landmines that go along with that of course. And, and because i was sexually abused by men right. for long extended periods of time at, at a, at a mm, crucial age like sure. a, a, um, uh, a crucial developmental age I don't know if I'm gay or not, even though I don't find men attractive. Because I don't even know, right. like, what... What does that even mean? Yeah, I've had more sex with men than women. Does that mean I'm gay? Or, right. But I like women are attractive. And, and in the context of masculinity being taught to you as these are things you're not allowed to do, these are things that are fundamentally not masculine, you should not do all these things, and then you're finding yourself with this history of I've had sex with lots of men, so what, is that, what does that even well, mean? And then also, on top of that, prison is a... You're treated more like a child mm -hmm. and like, so you don't know what it's like to be a man in prison. Sure. Like to be independent, to like be a autonomous. Adult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, also when you're, have, when you're sexually abused, all that, like it, your, your masculinity, like feelings of power, feelings of strength, feelings of, 
of agency feelings of um, I can control my environment. Right. Gone. Right. You just feel helpless, I guess. Yeah. You feel yeah. like a victim. Right. Yeah. And, and the typical, uh, c- the concept I had of, of, of being a man was not being a victim all the time, right? Right. So, okay, here I am amongst the living. I'm in right. society right. now. Right, you're out of prison. I'm out of you're prison. You're re-entering society. Yeah. I'm lost, just lost. I don't even know because right. you got to remember when you've been exposed to a lot of trauma like I have, extended periods of time and extended circumstances, extended incidents, yeah. you get kind of twitchy. Yeah. Right? So I don't know how to communicate properly. Uh, I want to have sex. I want to have sexual in- relationships with women. Um, I don't know how to... I, Got to also got to remember. Up until that point, most of the relationships I'd ever had with women were people who were in authority over me. Interesting. Yeah. So these aren't exact. So my view of women's warped too. Right. Right. Um, I don't see women as equals, but not in a misogynistic sense. I see them sure. as superior over right. me. Right. Because all the women since I was a kid, sure, could have me beaten and pepper sprayed if right. they wanted. Right. And right. has happened. Right. Right, because uh, yeah. when you're in prison, you're not going to be housed with, with female inmates, nope. but you will have female guards. And female case managers and, and administrative so staff. They and always stuff. had some form of power over you. A lot, in fact. Right, like the decision as to whether or not you go back to jail kind right. of power. Or like uh, one time I was in this panel thing, and they were deciding if I was going to have a temporary absence. That's when you leave the prison temporarily. Sure. And I said, broad as in women are broad, and, and one of the females got really upset about it, and I got a big lecture about it, and I, I thought, man, I'm in prison, I don't know how the I've fuck... Had, yeah. It's not like you get, um, you know, like, social justice education no, in prison, where no, people and also, explain terms Also, if we're going to use social justice sort of language and philosophy, sure. who has the power here? Right. I say broad, and you're all offended? Like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Well, especially when you're a marginalized person that's been on the streets in prison so this is what i was dealing with all this kind of stuff and so how to what was the how did you frame the original question oh the question it's it's okay i love the organic way that this has sort of gone the original question was what does sex and intimacy look like for you now like now having had this context and it's it's totally okay to go into the context of 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 where you have been and how that informs where you are so that's all the stuff I was dealing with, right? right? So the journey is, uh, this is a number, over a decade journey, right. and uh, which would involve, okay, so where, okay, first things first, logistics. Right. Where do you find women to potentially have like consensual sex? Even, yes, where yeah. would you even find someone who's interested? So right. Deal. Uh, and so I, uh, big question marks there. I don't, I don't drink anymore. I don't do drugs. I don't go to dance clubs. You can't go to bars. Can't go to bars. I can, but it's not. When you're the only sober guy at the bar, yeah. it's and and you have all this PTSD and anxiety and social anxiety. And you don't know how to talk to people. It, you don't feel sexy, right? That's totally fair. Um, so a lot of my early partners when I first got out of prison were other women in recovery. Which is good and bad. It has <clears throat> positives and it's negatives. Because on the one hand, it's like, I don't have to have the big awkward, I don't drink conversation. Right. Uh, there's a similar trajectory in life. We're both, you know, trying to stay sober and le- change our lives and, and improve ourselves. But there's also, they come with their own, yeah. I have issues, they have issues. Sometimes yeah. those issues really conflict, right? Yeah. Um, women often in recovery will have, it's what I've noticed with, the difference between how sexual abuse affects men versus how it affects women mm-hmm. is women can be a lot more 
this is a general statement, mm-hmm. but it's something I've noticed <laughs> enough to observe, and at least in my case. I don't have a lot of actual sexual hang-ups. Sure. I have interpersonal communication stuff that sure. triggers and is sensitive, but like the, in the bed, once it gets time for the nitty-gritty, nothing really. As long as it's sure. a woman, I don't really have a, an issue with it. It's, sure. If it was a man, then it starts getting tricky. But women tend to have problems in the bed. Sure. That's something I've noticed. So then you're dealing with that stuff too. So they're getting triggered by you touched them here. An abuser previously had touched them there. Sure. And then they might have a reaction. My internalized, I'm always a bad guy and a villain no matter what kicks in. Right. And then you have this <clears throat> this just mess, right? So, Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that in the context of being socialized differently as well, we're going to have different ideas about what sexual abuse means about ourselves. Right. And also, if you're sexually abused by someone you're directly oriented towards, it, it's more likely to affect people that look like that or that present gender like that or have parts like that. Right. So I can understand that. So, it, so what that does is yeah. like, and the point is, is that she gets triggered. This right. has happened a number of times. She sure. gets triggered by something I did. I get triggered because now I feel like, oh, I've offended, even though I didn't offend, sure. but she's having a... a, a, a and like a, it transcends offense almost. Yeah. Like it's not just I've offended. It's like I've done harm. Like there's a fear. Like I've really... Well, oh, no. And I don't something. mean offended as in you offended my sensibilities. Right. Offended as in offender. Oh, legally offended. Yeah, yeah. You mean like, oh God, I might go to prison for this. That's another... That's something that people don't know a lot about a prison is okay in prison. The way the case management and, and bureaucracy treats prisoners is you're always measured as some kind of risk. You're a risk. You're a risk. You're never no risk. Right. You're always some kind of risk. Right. So you start internalizing that you're always a risk of some kind. Yeah. So you get this kind of fucking, like, you're neurotic and, and, and it's like, uh, 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 did I right. scare you? And so I'm right. walking around with that all the time. So, okay, then where do you meet people to have consensual sexual relationships? Well, it turns out that I had a lot, bunch of work I had to do before that. Right? Sure, sure. Presentation, communication. Sure. Um, anxiety stuff, flashbacks and triggers. Um, so it, through therapy, I had to sort of do the, the, the really foundational stuff, tw- therapy and recovery stuff. And yeah. then one of the things that I found really discouraging is that as a man, a heterosexual man, if you want to find out how to like date, have sex consensually, where everyone's yeah. having a good time, yeah, and and optimize the likelihood of this, there's not a lot of resources out there. Uh, there's pickup artist stuff, right, which has its you know it has its drawbacks, right, definitely. Uh, but yet, it's one of the few resources that's marketed, that's readily available, that most heterosexual guys will know about. If you Google, yeah. If you're just a regular dude and you you're don't like, know anything about anything, and you go, like, "How, how do, do I have I consensual se- sex?" It'll probably be pickup artist stuff. Still be pickup yeah. artist, yeah. Now, in defense of pickup artist stuff, I'd say about fifty percent of it is is harmful, harmless, and helpful. Right, because social it's skills, basically, personal growth, social yeah. skills, grooming, hygiene. Yeah, that's it's Inter- not, they call it internal game for just having a healthy monologue where you aren't policing yourself. Absolutely, and uh, how to get over anxieties. It, sure. it's, it's nothing wrong with that. How to keep a conversation going if you get stuck. It, sure. it, these are all things most Useful. people could use, right? Yeah. Then the other fifty percent is the. <laughs> it's yeah. changing though. A lot that's of good. if you look at a lot of the new stuff, is it's a lot of it is 
focused on uh, personal development rather than how do you get women. Awesome. Yeah. It's almost like they trick you into... Doing personal growth, which is is good because in in a sense, you will get better partners that way. Like you will just be You stop caring about it as much too. Awesome. Because you care more about yourself and the most important relationship in the world is with myself. Yeah. Still a horny bastard. I still have certain (laughs) physical needs. Sure. But uh, it's not... My self-esteem and self-worth and identity isn't on the line anymore if I don't get laid. Right. right? Rejection doesn't hold the same punch that it used right. to. And so when I... That's to go back a bit. That was another thing. Mm-hmm. I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, unless I have sex with a woman. I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, unless I have sex with a woman. Also, right? how do I have sex with a woman? Yeah. Oh, that means I'm always going to be gay. Right. Right. So, and all, so, the, all the negative messages that you'd received about being gay, not just from society, but being in prison. Well, and probably. being forced to be gay, quote unquote. Right, right, right. right. So then being rejected or not um, being rejected, what what would be the term? Like not even having the opportunity. Right. This dialogue's going on all the time. And so it's it's a burden on me. It's a burden on any potential partner I have. Right. Right. Because there's this desperate neediness that's going on. Right. So slowly but surely, I eventually through some pickup artist stuff, dating coaches, other literature, I just and therapy all sort of in, in, in yeah. working together at the same time. I learned how to just be this sounds so cliche, but myself, whatever that means. But sure. Whereas and what I mean when I say myself is I'm mostly comfortable with my limitations and I'm mostly comfortable with my strengths and I mostly know what they are. Right. Yeah. At least there's like less fear of what other people are thinking about you and more just I can I can live and die by who I have made myself to be today. And if I take a stat a shot, trying to ask a girl out, and she turns me down. It doesn't mean it still sucks. I'm not saying I love rejection, but it's not sure. like it doesn't. Five minutes later, I'm not thinking about it anymore. Awesome. It doesn't affect my being mm-hmm. myself. It's right? not going to affect you like days after the fact no. kind of deal. Yeah, dude. Five <laughs> minutes is even a long time now. And it's also what you also start re- recognizing is that. Rejection, people rejecting other people is hard for them too. Sure. So for someone to straight up reject me, I actually respect that. Yeah. Because also, uh, this might sound funny coming from me, uh, women have to deal with a lot of shit from guys, right? Some guys flip out. I never used to know that because I always thought, well, I don't do that. So other, what do you mean? What do you mean men sure. flip out? Sure. Fuck off. Why would a guy? And I, I honestly didn't think men would like. Sure. Because it doesn't sound... The math is wrong on that. Like, right, that, how is that going to get you? Because your lived experience yeah. just doesn't add up to what they're saying. No, I, I just, despite everything I've been through, the crime and the prison and the violence and all that kind of stuff, I just, you don't treat people like that. You don't flip out on them if they say no. It's just, yeah. it's, 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 it, it, uh, before I even knew the word agency or autonomy, those sure. two words, I, I, I sure. sort of extended M- that. Million period. dollar words. Yeah. For sure. Um, so then when I find out that women deal with all this shit, right. I'm like... You start seeing some text histories and you're like, really? Like, yeah. Who is this yeah. person? And how common it is. So then mm-hmm. when someone does turn me down flat out and they just say, no, thank you or whatever, I'm like, oh, okay, neat. And yeah. you, it, it feels like an actual... Um, um, what's opposite of zero sum? Uh, oh, uh, like a mutual... Uh, yeah, I know what yeah, you're talking yeah. A non-zero sum. Yeah, 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 where we both benefited because yeah. she gave me the... Re- she respected me enough... Right to turn me down flat out. Yeah, and instead I of like her, yeah. giving you a soft no and being right. uncomfortable with saying no and all the other baggage. right, and she respected herself enough to say that. Right, and I'm not. I don't. Sorry, and not to be shaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I no. It, it, it's how do I frame that better? It's not. 
when someone shows them acts in a way that's self-respecting sure often you're going to feel respected too mm-hmm. is, is the note is the thing i've noticed mm-hmm. yeah. i i also just want to bring up um when you do pause and you're reaching for words did you did you finish high school sort of i mean uh, when... i did ged in prison but i dropped out when i was in grade 10 okay no so you got to a grade 10 equivalency which is pretty admirable considering you were doing it under prison circumstances yeah yeah. Um, yeah, so like a lot of my listeners, for example, are going to have university degrees. Right. So just being able to put it into context for them that like your language is passable right. um, to be like in my friend circle Th- around. This, this is the, the internet taught me all this stuff. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's useful. Anyways, yeah. I just wanted to acknowledge that that's, oh. that's incredibly difficult to do, like to, to so and sort of pass as middle class well, when you well, haven't well, had. And that's, that's the other thing is like when I got out of prison, I got out, uh, I first got out to Abbotsford which is a more blue collar in certain ways kind of town, some ways mm-hmm. not. But, uh, and then I moved to Vancouver two years later and Vancouver is a very middle-class city. Yes. Most of the people I knew had been to university. Yep. Um, most of the people I know had never been on the streets, had never been homeless, had never even known anyone who was homeless. And the prison right. thing, most people I know other than people in recovery have never yep. met anyone who's been to prison before. That fucking shocks me. Yeah. So imagine being, that's your only life experience and, and your life experience makes other people uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of stigma that yeah. really fucking sucks. I mean, I wouldn't know personally, but. But so how do you small talk? Right. What do you talk about? What do you, what, what, how do you find common ground? How do you, how do you, um, not scare people? Yeah. Right? Like just talk about your weekend when maybe you met someone from recovery yeah. or you met someone from your 12 step group or you, you know, like how do you bring that up without worrying about it being stigmatized? Right. Yeah. Or the not, then the not drinking's a thing too. Right. Cause then your friends are asking you, you know, like. Well, and it, come to the social gathering. Also, everyone's got alcohol, y- and you're like, nah. you might be. I don't know about you, uh, but you might be surprised how not drinking can make other people uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I, I believe that. It's very strange. It's like because I'm not a, I'm not preachy, but I don't give a shit if you drink or not. I, I'm just sitting here drinking my coffee, and you can have right. 15 cocktails if you want. I don't care. And that's but, incredibly tolerant. Like there are it, a lot of people in recovery that don't. No, do that, absolutely they can't do that. A lot of people in recovery avoid things like that, but mm-hmm. I just sit there and I don't care and. But it makes them uncomfortable. Right. It kind just, of creeps them out. Just by virtue that you're, um, I think the word is teetotaler. Yeah. No. <laughs> Abs- Abstemious ab- ab- is another word. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. That's Abstemi- a good one. Eh? I don't even think I've heard that yeah, one. That's, that's an good. old word. I don't think people use it anymore. Uh, but, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, so a lot of challenges there, yeah, right? And for sure. When you don't know how to, and then when I got out, social justice had become trendy at, when right. I was in prison. And, uh, all that language I don't know or I, right. d- I didn't know before either. Mm-hmm. And when, you, when you've been in the streets and you've been on pr- in prison, it's not a politically correct environment, right? No. That doesn't mean it's inherently hateful either. That's another okay. thing that should be clear. Yeah, it, 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 it's a different world. Yeah. Uh, is there hate? Yes. Uh, is there not hate? Yes. Just like war- the real world, right? Yeah. But just because someone, we used to call tra- trans people drag queens. Right, because you literally just didn't know that there was We didn't know there was different categories. That's just what you called them. And they called themselves trannies, and we called them trannies, and you said fag, and you called gay, and, like, it right. just, that's, that's it just wasn't necessarily hurtful. It just, Like, right? it wasn't intended to be hateful. Not at all. But, of course, as soon as you come out into society, Boom. all of these terms have moved on. Or I'd be like, so this one time, I was in a group. Sure. This one time I was, you know, I was getting high with this hooker. Hey, that's a... Uh, you shouldn't be shaming sex workers. No, she's my friend. That's and yeah, like, no, no, high yeah, with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're like, no, no, you don't use that term with sex workers. And it's like, wow. What? And it's like, so 
these these things can be little it can make it really hard to be the suave guy at the party when you're being corrected on your language every five minutes sure right? and i'm sure that doesn't help with social anxiety either no because you're totally aware of how much of an idiot you're looking like because the thing is is as, as, as politically incorrect as i can be i don't actually want to upset people sure um i don't want to upset people but sometimes I don't care if they got upset. That's the way. Right. That's the best way to. I'm not intending to. I'd prefer sure. they didn't. But right. But here you it also is. want to tell your story and be authentic. That's as right. Who you are. Right. And I don't think talking about my friend who was a hooker could. No, the one I'm thinking of in that one situation is dead now. Um, I'm really sorry to hear that. I mean, I guess part of life, man. <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate it. Uh, I, I, I don't have. think she would have given a shit if I no. She wouldn't have given a shit, and right. she would have called herself a hooker, and she right. and she would have said, oh, "I was giving a blowjob, and, and then this, this guy farted, and you know, it, yeah, all kinds of funny been, stories." Sure. And so, one of the things I find now, nah, we'll get to that in a minute. So these are the these are the challenges. Sure. Slowly but surely, I found ways to make myself work and adapt to the environment I am, and grow where I'm planted, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah, that's um an incredibly positive mindset to just yeah. be like, well, here's where I am. What can I do with it? Like that's well, and some of it was accepting. I'm never going to fit in with certain people. Right. Or I have to do so much work that I'm going to, sometimes I think we have to make decisions based on like, okay, how important is this goal to me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here are the steps I could take to achieve it. Here's am effort. I sure this, am I absolutely sure this is, this is, this is a valuable use of my time and energy. And I found in my life, a lot of my goals aren't. Right. You have a guitar on your wall. Sure. I'd love to learn to play the guitar. I don't really want to learn. But if, you, if you I actually... You don't want to learn. You'd love to play the guitar. I'd love to play the guitar. I, I don't want you. to learn. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's not a valuable use of my time. There's other things I could do. I'd rather get better at editing audio software. Sure. That's something that I think... As, as much as I fucking hate it... Sure. That is more valuable use of my time. Sure. Um, learning all the social justice lingo to hang out in social justice crowds. Sure. It's not a valuable use of my time. Right. I'll learn enough to get by. Sure. Uh, so I can be as, as respectful in certain circumstances as I can. But they're probably not people I'm going to hang out with other than a few shared things. We're not going to have a lot in common. So why not right. channel that energy into a group or crowd or even just individuals that I would mm-hmm. be better meshed with? And I don't just mean sexually. I just... Sure. Socially, no, no, totally. Right? Yeah. And, and I'm interested because you're talking about um, whether you'd hang out with them. You're talking about the social context and like how much of that is a shared experience thing. Like they haven't been on the streets or they don't understand prison or they're just very middle class and like literally don't know a human that's been to prison. It's all of all the of above. And then it's like, what are their... And then it's simple stuff. Right. So it's what? less it's less a judgment that like, oh, they're social justice people. I'm not interested. It's more like, oh, they're like this specific category of person that tends to be social justice people. And 90% of them I wouldn't hang out with. Th- and that's... that's that would be the best. That's the thing is social justice, I think, in, in philosophically and on principle is a good thing. Sure. I find a lot of people use it. And when I say a lot, I'm not talking about this tiny minority. No, I'd you say mean it, the majority it, it, probably. It, I won't say majority. Okay. I'm just going to say Fair it's enough. not this minuscule minority either. Okay. So it's, it's more than 1% and less sure. than 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. They use it as, at best, a way to be smarter than other people. Mm. morally superior yeah at worst they use it as a weapon to bully people in a socially acceptable manner Mm. i see why you didn't say the majority and why you said it's not a small minority yeah i Uh, hear what you're saying and i find they're not as diverse as they think they are and what i mean by that is definitely agree with that they can have 
There can be people presenting as all different genders, sure. all different skin colors, all different ethnic backgrounds. But you hear them talk, they don't really differ on their opinion very much. And I don't believe that's true diversity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Because they all tend to... Oh, sorry. A lot of them tend to have sure. very middle class value systems totally. and education and all these that. kinds of things. So I come in sure, and I don't speak that way. And then I have certain things that are easy to attack from a social justice perspective. Sure, because you're, you're male presenting, yep. white, yep. straight-ish, sure. right? Or so at least th- people would perceive you as... Yeah, so I'm easy things. to just... Uh, all these categories of privilege that I have, sure. ostensibly, I don't always believe that. And then it's sure. just easy to dismiss me, and, and especially if I misspoke. Well, right? and and a lot of that comes back to just being super oppressed by class. Mm-hmm. Like, like, just living in a class of people that were impoverished enough to be on the streets yeah. at all. Let alone to be targeted or... I mean, I don't want to say targeted, but, but to be subjected to the current incarceration system in the state it's in. It, to me, as a person who has those middle class values, it doesn't seem like a very humane system. And I feel like they're, especially with recidivism, is recidivism the right word for people that re-enter the prison yep. system? Yep. That's, the, that's the term. I, I honestly didn't know. Yep. Um, but so Most people don't. So, but the recidivism rate is actually quite high. Yep. Like prison doesn't rehabilitate people. No. So if it's not going to rehabilitate people, why can't we make it a more humane system? We're already spending a shit ton on Cause, it. Because it doesn't sound good to the general public. Right. Because no. people want to believe that there's shame involved, that there's a deserving, that people are there because they deserve to be there rather than they're there because of a variety of reasons. Foucault argued that we need a prison class in order to, uh, in order for uh, society, like it, it, they're kind of like society scapegoats. Like sure. in order, there needs to be a, 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 a class that we're all better than. Sure. Right? And I think that very much scares the middle class into yeah. being diligent, keeping their head down, not focusing on wealthier people, not yeah. focusing on income disparity in society because they have enough. They have more than enough because they're middle class. But they're scared by the lower classes, by the working classes. The thing I think that a lot of middle class people don't realize is that I think a lot of middle class people don't know they're middle class. Yeah, that's They don't possible. recognize it. And they don't realize that they actually control the majority of narratives in pop uh, culture and, and media very and stuff astute. like that. I would agree with uh, that. And so I'll make a joke that's problematic. Sure. And they'll be like, oh, that's again. And it's like, no, no, actually, you control. I'm at, The transgressive remark or joke sure. is because is, they say punch up. Are you familiar with the terms punch up and punch My down? My audience may not be. Okay, so punch up them. is when you're uh, attacking or criticizing Someone or poking fun power? at with more power. Oh, That's okay. the easiest way to got describe you, it. So you. the government, sure. church, sure. Uh, certain groups, sure. cis, straight, white men. Like right? white supremacy groups, for example, would be classically punching up. Yes, perfect. Okay. Uh, but it's, it can be as simple as white men. Okay. Yeah. Punching down would be groups or people that, that don't have power. That don't have power. Got so, uh, it, so it could People be of color. People of color. Women. Women. Uh, Depending on if you're a woman or not. Right. LGBT, and depends on the shade of the skin color of the woman. Sure. Uh, Even rape victims, things like this, right? Yes. The reality is, Mm -hmm. some of your listeners are not going to like this, but... Sure. If I make a transgressive joke that's poking fun at middle class values, and they say it's punching down, it really isn't, because they control the I completely agree with you 100%, and I really hope... I mean, I'm not going to speak for my listeners, but I, I think that is... A very good reading of intersectional feminism because class is, I mean, as much as I don't want to be essentialist in trying to isolate class from everything else, 
we do tend to look at the pieces of intersectionality on their own. And absolutely, I would say that, that middle class values, for all intents and purposes socially, in all of the people you will meet in your life, unless we're talking about that 1%, yeah, the middle class are going to be the dominant culture that controls the narrative the same way that if you look just at men and you don't consider any other factor, they will tend to be the dominant culture that controls the narrative. Right. Those sorts of things. Right. But again, we're, none of us are one of these essential things. We're a combination of them. And intersectionally, well, you end up with this. And that was something I was thinking about when I was driving out here. Is, mm-hmm. oh, t- okay, I got two things to say. Want to okay. know one of the best ways? Uh, my buddy, Nathaniel, uh, told me that a professor of his told me in university one time that if the best question to ask someone if they were middle class or not is, did you have braces when you were a kid? Interesting. And if you did, chances are you're middle class, right? I've, I also heard from a professor, yeah. did you eat dinner around a dining room table? Oh, good one. I like that one, too. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to amass a bunch of questions. Right? <laughs> like, you're, instead of, like, ten questions, you may be a redneck if. Yeah. It'll be like Mark Hughes's, you may be middle class right. if. <laughs> and so... Not that that's a bad word. It's just a dominant Hey, man, if you're... Yeah. If you're middle class, you sure. can't help that any more than if you're upper class or sure. if you're lower class. Totally. I, it, 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 these are I don't hold anything yeah. against anyone. Um, point I was going to make though: so if someone's middle class, uh, they no, I remember what I was going to say. So I was born and raised middle class. Still ended up in foster care. Yeah. Still ended up on the streets. Still ended up being abused. Still yeah. ended up with all this stuff. Like so, despite all of these beneficial, despite quote unquote, being a white, yep, male, yep, uh, middle class, yep, I still ended up in a foster home. Mm-hmm. So I know lots of SJW types who've never met anyone who's been in foster care. That kind of blows my mind. The same. I, I I'm like really. But then again, I grew up poor and eventually became middle class okay so i went the opposite direction right did you know people who grew up in foster care and stuff like that yeah and in group homes and i I dated a person who grew up in foster care as well so did you go to like alternate schools and shit like that or i was in the public school system right alternate schools are the ones for the bad kids oh um, the troubled youth no, usually was, the ones was, in foster care and stuff go to those. Got yeah, because they're having behavioral problems. And stuff I like fortunately that. never ended up in foster care. Yeah. There were, the, yeah, there were times I considered running away. And when I say times, I mean it was a, it was such a consistent pattern that my parents used to laugh at me when they saw me preparing my runaway kit because uh, I was so unhappy at home. Right. No, but I, I mean that's better than being in foster care, in my opinion. Not that you can really compare them. The, the thing, the thing, the biggest injustice I would say. And I'm not trying to shit all over my parents. I've come to peace with our relationship that it was fucked and that's just the way it goes. They probably shouldn't have had kids and whatever. Not everyone should have kids. Because I was middle class, social workers don't really apprehend kids from middle class families. Right. When I probably should have been apprehended. Much earlier. Yeah. And I'm not saying that foster care system would have been helpful. But necessarily better, yeah. But some of the shit that was going on uh, never beat me, never molested me, just to be clear. But Got some you. of the oh, and also they didn't have terms like emotional abuse back then. That right. wasn't a term, right? right? But my mom used to call me a faggot and stuff like that. Like it was pretty rough, right? And, yeah, especially and, with the context of what that word used to mean and the power it used to have. Because right. some of the audience may not well, fully grasp. She, she was saying it, 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 not in like you're a sissy, you're gay, and I don't like it. Right, right. and like, completely homophobic. Right. Like get out of my house. Because I was hanging around with a buddy too much. We weren't even doing anything sexual. We were just best buds. Right. Um, and sh- they'd kick me out of the house to punish me for things like just you have to leave the house. We don't care where you stay. Jeez, that's neglect. Yeah, absolutely. But because I came from Dunbar, right? No, no social. If anyone called social services, they would have laughed. Right. And I see that. Right. Some white kid from Dunbar is. 
and Got I you. see I see echoes of that in the current narrative with social justice and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like, well, white boy. Right. And it's like, hey, man, like, and I'm not... Sh- when people talk about, like, white cis men, I'm not oblivious to what they're talking about sure. when they say that. But it doesn't make me immune no. to shit, right? No, I've just... been raped more than most women I know. True story, right? Wow. And, like, fucking... Well, I mean, look at me. I'm fucking hot. So... Uh, <laughs> But do you know what I mean? It, it, it yeah. doesn't mean the macro sense I can acknowledge. Yeah. But I think, how do I say this? I think it's some courtesies could be extended sometimes. That's yeah. all I would say. Like, yeah. let's let's just like it, a penis doesn't buy you freedom yeah. from everything. Right. I or, mean, typically yeah. when people talk about privilege, they they don't mean that someone's led an oppression-free life. They just mean specifically having a penis or. Um, which in some respects is debatable when we start talking about homophobia, but that having a penis, that being white, um, that being middle class, that those things didn't in and of themselves cause harm. Right. It was just that they didn't protect you from all the other harm. Right. Yeah. And so in that sense, you're right. Um, But at the end of the day... But people just assume that you haven't experienced it because you haven't experienced those kinds of harm. Well, and the reality is is i've only lived my life and i, I, I sure. not a, life isn't a philosophy or sociology class and i all i got is what the life i led right and, yeah. and and my penis didn't protect me from being raped my white skin didn't protect me yeah. from being beaten by the police right yeah. like my my yeah. my my heterosexuality didn't pr- protect me from being put in foster care sure right so yeah yeah or from being thrown out of your house yeah Right. Because that's something a lot of LGBT folks have to deal with right. is getting thrown out of their house or being disowned by their parents. I've, yeah, and it, my parents yeah. weren't even throwing me out for being gay or anything like that. They were just throwing me out because, oh, this will teach you for small little transgressions. So, right? right. Yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds pretty ruthless, but it's it's always interesting how when we tell our stories, they don't always sound quite as bad to us. There's usually like, at least I find when I tell my story, like... I was having a podcast with um, Sarah Blaze, who's the CEO of MBK and... and runs parties and does all sorts of stuff is the amount of stuff she gets done kind of makes me tired thinking about one of those people and we I've totally lost my train of thought your story doesn't sound as bad to you as right. where you were going and I ended up telling um, my story about like you know my, my mom just saying things like no woman will ever love you um, you know unless you find some sucker like me like, like that kind of shit fun stuff yeah and yeah. I just remember just being like yeah, it kind of bothers me a little now. I don't really think about it, though. And she was just like, wow, like, that's that's some pretty intense shit. And then she was talking about being, you know, growing up as a Mormon and having all the shame. And and I was I was like, wow, like, this sounds like really heavy life. And it's, it's funny how you just you sit with it long enough that it just doesn't seem to affect you the way that... That's another thing. I find middle class people get shocked really easily, too. It's like they're more bothered by your story than you are. And that that actually pisses me off. It's like, fucking relax, man. Like, or, or they'll it didn't get, happen they'll, to you. Yeah, they'll get yeah. offended on my behalf. Like, no, no, re- no, no, don't do that. Especially in comedy. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that adds no. a whole social layer as soon as you're dealing with stand-ups. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, does that answer the question? <laughs> it, it, yes, I yeah. think it does. Okay. What, what is sex and intimacy like? I think just even having a landscape of mm. all the things that get in the way answers the question even by omission of the right so i was going to ask about emotional intimacy next like, emotional intimacy for me means okay i need a lot of space that's my life that's just the way i am and i've come yeah. to, I'm, I'm at peace with that it was a struggle for a while but 
I need a lot of space. And sure. I get my emo- I get most of my intimacy needs met from non-sexual friends. Sure. Uh, sexual partners are things that, as cold or callous as it might sound to some people, some people sure. wouldn't, are really just about minor emotional intimacy and, and sexual meeting. intimacy. But I don't... I find I just... That's not where that well gets filled up. Yeah. Yeah. And so, which can make it difficult dating uh, because people, most people want to have emotional intimacy along with the physical intimacy. Right. And they usually want it to be, quote unquote, going somewhere. Right. I don't want it going anywhere. And I just, it, 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 these are needs that I want, that I have, and I want to, I want to have a positive, mutually beneficial sexual experience with someone. Sure. But I don't necessarily want much more than that. Right. right? And how do you set up a stable, consistent sexual relationship with someone that doesn't involve a lot of emotional intimacy? Uh, as soon as I find out, I'll write the book and I'll put <laughs> in the acknowledgements. It's kind of a lot of just trial and error and you just got to, you try and do it as ethically as you possibly can. Totally. You try and do it as painlessly and as, totally. as you possibly, both to you and the other person. And I'd say mostly what it ends up looking like is very short relationships. Uh, they don't end in drama or fighting or anything like that. It's, sure. The term I use is I get used as the temporary boyfriend a lot. Right. And then people move on to... To uh, someone who they can be more exclusive and stable with, right? Right. Stability might not be the word, but I'll use it here anyway. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That they can be more exclusive with. Yeah. And uh, so, which is okay. Sure. Uh, Especially if you're not heavily emotionally invested because that's not your deal. But the funny thing is, is it didn't mean that I didn't like them. Right. Right. And it didn't mean that it's not like a bit of a bummer when all yeah. of a sudden, because these days people don't just tell you they stopped. People don't tell you they stopped seeing you. Oh, that's... Ghosting. Yeah. They, that's rough. Yeah. And so you just, all of a sudden you stop hearing from them or they're really busy all of a sudden. Right. And you're like, oh, okay. And, and it's, it's again, a lot of emotional work and a lot of... um intellectual work to go and learn all the language of say relationship anarchy and to mm-hmm. learn all and to try and find those communities and to negotiate for what you want it's like that you could do a degree almost in just absolutely and relationship anarchy and polyamory and stuff like that that's that's those are communities that i've tried and i'm i would say as a community i i'm i'll watch i don't need to be a member of them and sure. also they're small especially in vancouver they are very small so uh the term i heard once is fishing in a teaspoon because <laughs> if okay first of all the the, the raw numbers aren't that big. Yeah, that's okay. true. Then you got to find people who you're compatible with. Mm-hmm. Then are you attracted to them? Then are they attracted to you? Right. Then can you stand each other's company for more than five minutes? Right. Right. The numbers start getting really small at that and point, right? Especially if you if you are dealing with any kind of social challenges, um, being a trauma survivor, period, um, like any kind of social challenges, those numbers drop even further. Absolutely. And the thing about being me, a trauma survivor or whatever is up with me and is I don't always know how to I'm better at it now but the challenge has been historically that you don't know I don't know how to be the sexy suave charismatic guy when I'm nervous at a part at a kink party or, sure. or a poly party right like and there are environments that are going to make you nervous well, if you don't very, speak the language right and, and I'm a single guy so uh, right. uh and so I already I can feel that and and um I don't want to be the guy who asks every girl right right but I don't want to be the guy totally sitting on the sidelines either. So it's, I don't know what the balance is. And I get overwhelmed and I go, okay, I can't do this. Yeah. When yeah. I've seen people be successful in quote unquote alternative scenes, it's typically if they're single guys trying to make a splash, 
they go and they make friends with guys by standing in a circle of more than two people. They just show up in the circle and stand there and try and contribute something to the conversation. But again, if you have that, what, how did you describe it for Twitchy? Yeah. If you have any kind of social tick whatsoever, all of a sudden everyone's con- not concerned necessarily, but they're watching you. Yep. And if that makes you more nervous and that sure escalates does. anxiety, then... And- Going up and talking to a group of people. It's funny because I'm a stand-up comedian. People don't understand this. It's like when you're on stage, it's a different dynamic. But I don't – I'm not a group guy. Yeah. I'm a one-on-one guy. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say I've heard audiences described as one-on-one because it's you and the audience. The audience becomes one person basically. It's a a unified group. So even if if you're in the audience amongst a group of people and I'm looking at you – I'm just looking at one facet of the person. The, of the audience, yeah. yeah. Because it's one audience, which is like, I guess, the average or the temperature of all the people in that audience. The, the uh, audience finds a rhythm, and they unify mm-hmm. like the Borg almost. Got it, you. Yeah, and, and, and so then it, you end up just, you, you're communicating with that entity. Right? I mean, those really valuable leadership skills, oh, to be yeah. perfectly honest. Like, yeah, it, 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 it's, it can be done, it's easier for me to do when they've come to a, 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 a setting where they were like, we want this to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but it can be harder to do when you're at a setting where it's like, <laughs> I have to be smooth and not ever bring up any uncomfortable topics, and my jokes always have to be like on the right side of history and <laughs> right. Which I imagine as a trauma survivor, and I believe a lot of your stuff does joke about trauma. Yeah, and I because I think trauma is funny, and and if and that it, or it, I mean, sure. <laughs> And I think that trauma. people do too. And the trauma is worth being laughed at. Uh-huh. Um, mm. And I and I think it's as a way of taking ownership over it, right? Giving myself power over it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think that perspective is one that's often missing from a lot of mainstream perceptions of quote unquote shock comedy. They think you're supposed to be like grieving it all the time and always treating it as this sacred, precious thing. And it's like, no, man, I got I don't got time for that. I'm not a victim. I've yeah. been victimized, but I'm not a victim. Yeah. Right. So. That yeah. was then, this is now. And, yeah. Yeah. That's... Getting raped was funny. It, there were certain parts of it that were very funny. Like, the guy asked after he raped me, he goes, can I give you a blowjob now? Oh. And I'm like, well, I'm very considerate for a rapist. <laughs> and and I, I said, no, I'm okay, unless you're going to kill me. Then, by all means, suck away, right? Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's funny. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. absolutely it. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, because, like, I'm I'm finding myself at a conflict of value systems. Yeah. Like you were saying, how there is, there is this reverence that's held for trauma survivors. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I acknowledge the direction you're going with taking power over it. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, showcasing the complexity of someone not almost understanding the gravity of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And I understand not a lot of people are going to like that. And that's their right, too, because I'm a free speech guy. I'm all, I'm all sure. for free speech, right? Sure. So if someone goes, that's offensive. I can't fucking stand it. That's horrible that you did that. Oh, okay. I'd prefer they didn't disrupt the show or dox me. Sure. But, uh, sure. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's a that's a fair response. And, and people can't always tr- control their responses to things. Triggers. Perfect segue. Perfect segue. So a trigger is something you often, most people who get triggered, and I don't just mean they didn't like a word on the internet and now we're going to get offended and write a 15-paragraph comment. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like when you actually have that Tra- neurological response. Yeah, like a trauma response. Yeah, where the trauma, where the flashback hij- hijacks your brain. Yeah. Um, most of us don't like them. We Most of us are triggered by 
talking to so many people who have them, it's like we're triggered by stuff that's kind of dumb. Arguably Ugh. speaking, it's like, oh, man, I really wish that wasn't a trigger. Like that makes like because it's it's usually it's usually very inconvenient. It's not something you can predict. Mm-hmm. Go, going and watching a horror movie or hearing a gunshot won't do anything to me. Yeah. But, like, but specific things. Yesterday, my friend asked me innocently enough, and it might not sound innocent, but it was because of the context, because we were joking around like I do. And I pointed out at a place in New West, I said, I used to party in there. He goes, did any sodomy occur there? And just, the, I, sure. it's too much time to explain the context, but he was, he, he was, oh, it was okay in that moment for him to ask that. And I said, that's fucking inappropriate. And I got really mad. Right. And he goes, well, we'll do it. And I went, right. ah, Right. And it felt like an asshole, right? Because you, you caught it. You, you saw what was going on. Yeah. You understood where it was coming from. And then, and then you had to do all the emotional labor to explain where you were coming from in that social yeah. situation. And he understood, and he's a good friend. But it was like, I wish that didn't trigger me right then and there because it was just, it was like a it was like a back and forth banter thing. And it, yeah. I fucked it up. I made yeah. it uncomfortable, right? Got you. And things like that. So, and being triggered... Um, and f- having flashbacks and a flashback is a funny thing I don't get the memories I get the emotions so I have an emotional flashback so that means yeah. you and I can be sitting here and I can have a flashback and sure. I know it's Victor yep. and I know this is your room and I know this is your house and my rational brain is knows exactly where I am but I think you're going to kill me right because emotionally my body is telling me you're my body isn't even my mind isn't saying Victor's going to kill me my body's responding uh, like you're going to kill me Yeah. and then I can't think clearly and I can't speak clearly Right, mm. I tend to get triggered more by interpersonal things, which is can make parties not very fun. Right? You once described borrowing a pencil. Yeah. Um, do you want to relate that? So, basically, what it would be is if if uh, I could be triggered by uh, if you asked to borrow or if I asked to borrow a pencil, it could trigger me because, like, you might want something now. Right, right, in response to you having the pencil. Right. You might take advantage of me because I, I borrowed a pencil. Right? Like, if, I, if, if I'm going to borrow this pen for your listeners, I'm picking up a pen that's on your desk. Sure. And you're like, hey, can I borrow that? Or, or I, I say, can I borrow this? I, I might immediately go, how much is this going to fucking cost me? Right. right. Or if you go, hey, where's my pen? Right. I'm like, Ugh. Is this going to turn into a thing, right? right? Especially if you like accidentally lost it or someone yeah. else stole it from you, and then you're responsible to the person for having something stolen. There you from go. You. you get it. Yeah. And so, when you're talking to like regular people, and you're like get experience a flashback, it can be fucking awkward, man. I mean, not just regular anyone. It's a flashback doesn't feel good, and 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 it can make it it, it can be literally in the truest sense of the term handicapping debilitating like because right. you, you you are i can walk and i can talk and i can do all these things but right now i am socially handicapped yeah debilitated like you said just like unable to socially perform and it's not i don't think it's anyone else's responsibility to deal with flashbacks i know it's on me that mm. can be a huge burden too cause yeah it's like oh, fuck right like you know i gotta deal with this and i gotta be the weirdo and i gotta be the freak so um, so there's a lot of stigma that comes with being a trauma survivor. and Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we're not always pleasant to look at either. A flashback doesn't look nice sometimes, depending yeah. on how you present when you have it, right? Yeah, and I don't expect fair. people to think, oh, that's sexy. I'm going to drop my panties for you right sure. now. You know sure. what I mean? So, no, I hear you. Uh, that's a thing. That's, that's just a, a, another uh, 
issue, the reality sure. that I have to sure. deal with sometimes. I don't get flashbacks as much as I used to, but... That's good. Yeah. So as a stand-up comedian dealing with being a trauma survivor, how how has that impacted flack that you've maybe gotten from other comedians or do you find they're very supportive no i find most comedians aren't very supportive um most comedians are very insecure and kind of unfortunately comedy can be one of the most toxic communities i've ever been around wow if you think about it if you if you understand the basic psychology of why people get into comedy it makes sense they're insecure they're passive aggressive they're not good at communicating they've probably often never been heard before they're 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 jealous types things like that right it this is the this is the thing in their mind that makes them funny i will 100 percent take your word for it because yeah. i'm i do not understand yeah. comedy super yeah. well so so i have supporters and i have friends and stuff like that but i sure. find the community of it in and of itself is not very is not very good communal yeah no um well it's also a, it's hard to be a, in a community when you're doing an, a, a a medium or art form that that's is individual very right. much yeah it's not a team sport really i'm on stage by myself right, right. so um I find I've gotten more trouble over the years doing comedy from comedians than any audience. Mm-hmm. Um, audiences, by and large, I think, when they go to a comedy show, know, for the most part, that, okay, this is probably jokes. Even if I don't laugh, the guy sure. probably meant it as a joke, right? Sure. Comedians tend to be um, very fixated on, on, on content and topics and intent and stuff like that. And it seems like they act almost as the vanguard or, or defender of the audience, even if the audience... Again, very middle class. A lot of comedians are middle class. Even if the audience enjoyed themselves, they're kind of like, well, maybe they, you know, they, I don't know if we... that Still, I don't know if they should have been laughing. It's like... But that's... In, in my mind, that's very... Uh, it's very condescending. Because there are consumers. There are clients. Mm-hmm. For, so for us to speak on their behalf and speak what they should and shouldn't be doing, that's arrogant. Mm-hmm. They laughed. They had a good time. Right. Case closed. Success. Right. That's it. Right. And and you can only work with the audience you have. Like yeah. if you happen to be doing a performance and the audience is laughing at racist jokes, that's a commentary on the audience too. And as a comedian, you can't magically make them not racist. No. And 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 just because they laughed at racist jokes doesn't mean they're racist. Sure. Right? Just 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 because a joke contains race doesn't mean it's racist. Right. That's also true. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and, it's. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No. No. I was going to say, I saw on Jezebel, they did an article on um, funny rape jokes. Uh And it was Jezebel.com. Lots. Yeah, it was was really interesting to hear how, like you said about punching up and punching down, so long as it's not making the survivor the butt of the joke, it's not inherently an anti-survivor joke in the same way as long as you're not making a joke that, that really targets people and makes racialized people the butt of the joke it's not necessarily a racist joke just because it's about race even if you're commenting on stereotypes doesn't even mean it's racist right sure yeah i mean again it depends on the comment like what are you even trying to say about racism and race right there can be tons of anti-racist jokes that are about race absolutely or sometimes and this is this is the part where i get in trouble which i don't think i should but whatever life free speech and everything sure sometimes a joke's just funny and you don't know why it's funny absolutely these words when you put them together cause a, a reaction that is a laugh is sure. laughter and it's, it's and i think that's like the minimalist approach to comedy yeah. right because you don't necessarily have the time to think about all the implications of every joke you write no. if the audience finds it's funny i mean i essentially think you're doing a good job as a stand-up if you're making people laugh it. it's unfortunate if you're doing that in the context of a society that has bigotry involved and that's not really 100 percent your responsibility i mean i mean as long as you're not going out of your way to tell bigoted jokes like i think it's not you know 
Well, I I think it and it comedy is such a funny thing because it seems to get a lot of flack for a lot of stuff. Like it, it, I don't see actors who played racist roles getting in trouble. Well, right? I mean, ScarJo got into tons of trouble even just for accepting roles where she was playing. I guess maybe it's starting then a racialized yeah. character. Yeah. 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 Well, because I mean, if you look at say Ben Ben Kingsley and Gandhi. Yeah. Because Gandhi had been to England, and because he was Christian. You know, there's a lot of cultural context that was similar, and, and I think Ben Kingsley did a really good job with that character. Today, could he play that character? No. So I, let's dox him. <laughs> no, the, mm-hmm. po- the point is, like, moving forward, we're going to have to start providing more roles to but ethnicities. So, yeah, and society changes, and yeah. comedy will change. Totally. Will, will change. Um, but what will be transgressive today might not be transgressive tomorrow, and what will be transgressive tomorrow might, might not, not have be. been transgressive today, right? Yeah. And and Totally. Um, I I think as far as comedy goes, there needs to be room for. Um, I can't help the type of humor I like. That's what I like, and mm-hmm. I don't think it should be like, well, we're not providing you that kind of humor anymore because it, that's and it's like why, right? Like right. I think there's an audience for everything, right? So and, and also it comes back to people are going to grow through bigotry when they want to grow through bigotry. That's it, man. Yeah, I mean we can't tell people what to think. We can try. <laughs> But they're going to think what they're going to think. We are we are really close to through all of the prompts. Oh, cool! I'm I'm amazed that we got through. We got through in, in 50 minutes. Like cool. we're not even to the hour mark. I'm curious before we finish, just like wrapping up some loose ends. Talked about stand up a little. We talked a bit about normal society and body language and how hard it can be. We didn't talk about where you go to get those resources. Okay, so the only things I've found, pickup mm-hmm. artist stuff yep. online. Mm-hmm. Again, we touched on things pros and cons, and, yep, right? Totally. Uh, there are dating coaches out there. Yep. Uh, if you have the money, they yep. they, uh, they are basically they're basically life coaches. Yep. Teach you social skills and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, there's some that aren't aren't as uh, aren't as uh, ethical, but uh, sure. There's books, sort of. Kind yeah. of, but not really. Uh, I, I have a book that's called The Definitive Book of Body Language, which right. is actually right there with the golden purple cover. Okay. Is it a good book? It has pictures, which is helpful. Because okay. if a book doesn't have pictures and it's talking about body language... It's hard to picture. I mean, I've got a degree, and I, I have a hard time parsing through descriptions of body language. Right. And it's a lot of energy to try and put it together. At least this one has pictures. So I found it, it's pretty good. And again, the body language is only going to get you close It's going to give you like generalized ideas on body language, and then you have to sort of take those those words as they've been described and look at the variations that you see, and then put them in the social context you're in. So it's unfortunately pretty complicated stuff, and it's well. The other thing about social skills is their skills, and how do you develop skills? Practice, and you're doing it's unlike the piano, which doesn't care if you got the note wrong. Right, people do. Yeah. And also the notion of being creepy, like it, it, it comes down to, I'm not, I'm not socially flagging myself as 100% safe. Right. And any, that doesn't feel good, man. Yeah, I huh. hear you. I, in fact, I used to be so socially abrasive. I had absolutely no friends. I mean, my parents didn't really have friends and I never really learned the skills of making friends. And my parents were always miserable and at each other's throats. I was up until 2 a.m. as a, as a like, eight-year-old regularly because they were screaming at each other. Um, and that changes you social skills-wise. Like, you just learn certain behaviors are okay when they're not. And you don't learn how to do the behaviors that are okay. So then you go to school, 
and everyone has a friend and everyone avoids you and there's a bubble around you everywhere you go and it fucking sucks. We had the As same sure. childhood. <laughs> very, no, very similar. Uh, yeah? The mother, father yelling and all that, no. But the how it how, how it affected you and what you're... Socially. I didn't really... I had a couple friends, but I'd lose friends a lot and I'd act out in school and, kid, oh, yeah. and other kids... The kids' parents wouldn't let them hang out with me and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, that's fun. I hear you. Well, so I had... Uh, for one of my birthday parties, I gave invites. This would have been in grade... Grade three, I gave invites to every kid in my class and out of 30 kids, because usually you give invites to kids and you'll get like, it's, it's an elementary school birthday party. They give the invites to the parents. The parents go, yeah, you have to go to this. It's a good, it's a good opportunity, one, for me not to have to take care of you, like to have to deal with this. Because usually you give the birthdays weeks in advance and yeah. parents go, cool, I get daycare and someone else is taking care of them for just three hours. Yeah. I can go and have a date. I can go and do laundry, yeah. like, you know, whatever. And one kid showed up at the door and he was visibly being coerced into coming to the party. And it was like one of the most socially crushing experiences. Like after that, never liked birthdays. Right. Never wanted to have a birthday party. It's been incredibly difficult. And it wasn't until a couple years ago when a person who was very emotionally intimate with me, um, we were practicing a 24-7 power exchange, which some people might call master-slave. They, they asked me a lot of detailed questions. They customized it. They made it about me. And they planned a surprise birthday party so I wouldn't have the anxiety leading up to it. And it was actually a great experience. But it's like, that's me at like 29, 30. I don't like birthdays. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's another, it's like a celebration of how socially incompetent I am. Yeah. For me, it came from prison. And in prison, you just don't sell, you don't really, you don't wish someone happy, but you just don't. Because it's like a reminder of freedom and stuff like that. You just see. Right. Just, and so I, I. That's one of those things where it's like, well, come on, can't you challenge? I don't, no, I don't want to challenge it. I don't yeah. care. I don't, it's, I'd it's never not considered that as no. a person who hasn't been in prison. Like, I've never considered well, that. Well, and, yeah, you don't tell... Christmas is all, all these kinds of... All these... Basically, I was set up to be a real big failure for middle-class people. <laughs> My entire <laughs> life is like, you're not going to fit in with middle-class people. Right. Going home for Christmas? Yeah. No, I don't like Christmas and my family sucks. Aww. Right. And then it makes them uncomfortable, and now I have to deal with their uncomfortable, and right. it's like... <sighs> right, it's like you can't authentically be yourself, even in, like, a non-aggressive way. Just what most people do, and I, I'm just not... I don't want to do it. I don't care. Is they come up with charismatic white lies and ways to deconduct around all this stuff, and, it, it, yeah, it, and I'm just not that guy. I'm, I'm also not, not that guy. Yeah. I will... If someone asks me what I did on the weekend... Yeah. If I saw partner A on Saturday yeah. and partner B on Sunday, I will say I found I saw partner A on Saturday and I saw partner B on Sunday. Rather than just say I hung out with friends. Yeah, and yeah. then have them be shocked yeah. and have them ask me, like, do they know about each other? Yes, they know about each other. It's it's an ethical non-monogamous framework. And they'll be like, oh, you mean like poly? Yeah. So, so which one's your primary? You get all these, like, kind of aggressive prying questions right. that have nothing to do with anything where you're like... You asked me what I did on my weekend. I was honest. I'm not super comfortable talking about this because I don't even think a partner should be primary. And they're like, wait a minute. What do you mean? And, and it's just like... Aren't you afraid of dying alone? Yeah. <laughs> That's the one I get all the time. Uh, not at all. <laughs> Look forward to it. At least then I won't be bothered by people trying to force me into some social mold. Mm. And we all die alone. Yeah. Even if I'm holding your hand and we both die at the same time, I'm still alone wherever I'm going. Yeah. No, no. If anywhere at all. If any... Right? I, I <laughs> yeah. Not to not to end the podcast. Yeah, that's great. No nihilism. Down. I love it. Yeah, you know what? There's something freeing about nihilism because I find nihilism life affirming in that there's no pressure. It like releases me from some of the anxiety. Yeah, yeah man. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I empathize. Wow, I think we, so the only closing question I have was you had talked about how prison affects masculinity mm. and and just, like you said, the feeling of powerlessness and that you were never socialized to believe masculine people could ever be or should ever be powerless. Right, so you feel powerless, you feel like you have no control over your destiny. Yeah. You have people telling you to make your bed. Oh, geez. You have women telling you to make your bed who have authority over you. Uh, right. You have people making decisions based on your, like, that, that can t- t- totally define your future. Uh, you have to ask permission for stupid shit. You get talked to like a child. I can't and, believe they make you make your bed. Oh, yeah. And uh, all this kind of stuff, right? And you can get in shit for not doing it. And it's like, you just don't feel like a man. And when... Like, you don't feel like any manly man from society would look at you and say, not even, You don't even need to be a manly man. You just don't feel like a man. Like, if, yeah. I don't know. I'm, like not, an, I'm not saying you inherently feel like a woman. Either. Sure, just, sure. You don't feel... You don't feel like an adult. You don't feel autonomous. You no. Don't, you don't feel independent. Strong or powerful or, right. like, I have, I'm a master of my domain and I'm a master of my destiny. None of that. Right. And It's like the opposite of that. The exact opposite of that. And, and in, in a sense... I wouldn't say it's effeminizing, if that's a word or not. Sure. But it makes you feel weak. Got you. And and weak ain't fun. I no. appreciate that you don't assi- assign weakness to feminine gender. Um, I just nope. wanted to mention that. Weakness, weakness, is, just a, weakness. is weakness. And it can happen to anyone. And, yeah, and there's strong women and there's weak women. And there's strong men and there's weak men. Yeah. Uh, I would say if I had, if I was pressed, though, that there are certain traits that I would... I would uh, I associate with weakness that are more common in certain genders not sure. just women sure just, but like or yeah. even certain yeah. subgroups yeah. within genders like right. men that participate in certain communities right. or certain activities or certain social groups or hobby groups even it's right. like you just notice like oh this 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 activity attracts a certain type of person it's funny I don't even think like you don't mean like that nerdy nerds or whatever I don't think that's weak sure I think weak is when Okay, here's an example. And I'm guilty of it, too, so I can be weak. Sure. When you don't have control over your emotions. Oof. Yeah, that's a hard one. And I think... I mean, no one's ever perfect in that, but when you're, like, almost pathologically have no control over your emotions... When you consistently completely lose the ability to decide... And you expect other people to uh, cater to your emotions, I think that's weak. That's a rough one. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, and, cool, because you mentioned earlier, like, I'm responsible for my own feelings, absolutely. and I'm responsible for my own reactions, and when I experience a trigger and I'm, I'm losing my mind, like, I, I'm responsible for that. And in a sense, no one else can be. We, I mean, we can try and I can accommodate it. and be courteous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As, as I think any Oh, is there anything person, I can do? Or, sure. oh, I'll stop saying that if that's sure. right. And, and I think, like, that's the decent response is to try and be compassionate to people who are suffering a lot or who yeah. are struggling a lot at least. But ultimately, they're still the ones struggling. It's, it's kind of the unfair, not that there is only one unfair thing about trauma, but <laughs> it, it's the thing I think that, that it like repeatedly reminds you of how unfair it is because you have these like things thrust on you just emotionally that you don't have 100% control of your behavior. What trauma does, and I think this is a perfect spot to end it at because it's a segue into the next episode. Okay. What trauma does is it perpetually keeps you in a state and reminds you of how alone you are. Hmm. Thank there's you certain s- ways of medicating that. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah. So we'll we'll end the podcast there, and I'm really excited to get into um, recovery in the next episode. From Spoilers. medicating. From medicating. <laughs> 
thanks so much for listening to this session, this session and thanks so much for participating. Most welcome. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Intimate Interactions. I appreciate you. The intro music was Lullaby for Democracy, and the outro was Ladies Take Me With You, both by Dr. Turtle, published under Creative Commons. I want to offer a special thank you to each and every Patreon supporter who helps me with show costs, food, and bills every month. I see you helping make this show. And if you haven't gotten the chance yet, you can go check out patreon.com slash victorsalmon. Thanks for your time, and talk to you soon. Disclaimer. I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks. I'm open to being called in. Chances are in six months, I'm going to look back aghast and see something horribly problematic I'm not proud of. I'm certainly not perfect, and I'm trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. Along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, specifically that of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Tsawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations.